Welcome to episode 27. Uh, we have a guest today. Ooh. All right, so our guest today is Lean. Lean, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lean. <laughs> yeah. Now, Lean, do you get your name from the drink? Uh, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of uh, column B. <laughs> Ooh, I, you know what? I like the mystery. Don't explain. Don't explain. <laughs> Um, so, um, Lean uh, is an old friend of mine. We've known each other for years. And um, she will, like, once you hear her discussion on this topic, you'll see why I invited her on for this episode. I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, but yeah, I watched this episode and I was like, Lean's got to be on this. <laughs> well, now, I now, watched it and was like, oh, I see why I'm asked to be on this. <laughs> Lean, what is your history with the show Boy Meets World? So, uh, as most people our age, I think I was a pretty big TGIF fan. Uh, Boy Meets World. Uh, oh, gosh. What's the one? Step by Step. Yes. I fucking love Step by Step. Love Step by Step. I can step. curse, right? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely, uh, you can. <laughs> good. All right. What was this? Uh, what was the... I think we do this all the time. But was it Cody? The dude who... Uh, yes. Cody was uh, like God, the hot one. Yeah. Now, interesting fact about Cody is that he is only on, I believe, like the first season or two or three um, because he got caught up in beating up his wife and then he got replaced with that French guy from the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Are you serious? We what? can't have nothing in life. We, we get nothing nice. This is yeah. just... Again, you let white men have a little bit of anything. <laughs> a they beat their wives. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you were saying, Lee? Oh, but yeah, just uh, TGIF, watching Boy Meets World, obviously having the biggest crush on Ryder Strong. I definitely had, like, Tiger Beat J14, like, pinups <laughs> yes. like, of him on my wall. Um, and that oversized leather jacket, I hope. Oh, God, yeah. When he, like... I don't want to forge too far ahead in Boy Meets World history, but, like, when he Please. gets adopted by, like, the hot teacher, and then, like, they're both, like, hot, badass boy. <laughs> like, it was very, like, it was a, a sexual it, awakening for me, for sure. And I think probably why I had such a weird dating habit for a while. <laughs> I blame Ryder Strong. So it's so funny you say that, because I started our, I'm going to start a segment called Turned On by Turner, which is Mr. <laughs> Turner, the teacher. He just, every now and then, they'll give him a scene where I'm like, that was the hottest thing anyone could have done. Just like, so I don't hot. know why. It's just like, for no real reason, he just like made a move or a gesture. I'm like, this is literally the hottest moment on television right now. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. It's also there's so much raw eroticism for him. <laughs> just like, there's one moment where he shows up later in this episode to the Matthews house. And I feel like Al Amy sees him and immediately gives him fuck me eyes. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Well, what's funny, though, is, like, because what with that episode was 1994, at the time, Mr. Turner is what we, what we, we would, we don't call people anymore, but exotic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you're right, yeah. Like, like, as, as a half Italian, I am, I feel personally attacked by Mr. <laughs> Turner sometimes, like, by his, sure. 
patient because like that's some xenophobic like hey i'm a new york dying guy right i ride Thank a motorcycle you. i said this all the time like when he was introduced i was like what accent are they doing what is this and where are we <laughs> well that inspired guy. my my correlation to frank stallone which we realized he was an exact replica of. oh my god yeah yeah, yeah he, said, he, he, is. Really he is. actually is frank stallone. but yeah so you know a mix of being turned on by mr turner and Ryder strong <laughs> uh has, had kept me in the Boy Meets World loop through through the college years. <laughs> because then they had the Lawrence guy on. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, we haven't even touched the Lawrences, but, uh, like, yeah, that's come. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Matthew Lawrence. I forgot that we're getting there. You're right. What a stud. Exactly, right? Oh, God. Like, literally, I don't have time to go into the Lawrence. All right. So, thank you for getting back to it. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you, Lee, that I ask all of our guests is, what was your high school experience like? Like, how... Like, how did the show influence it or like, like, yeah, just what was your experience like? I mean, I was such a Topanga. Ah, in what way? Explain. Um, oh gosh, like I was a nerd in that, like I was in like all honors and AP classes. Um, I think Siege, you won't be surprised by this, but I was class president my junior and senior yeah, year. Yeah, not at all surprised. Um, <laughs> I played on the soccer and lacrosse teams. Like I was like hyperactive. I got voted like most school spirit. Like <laughs> I was like into high school. I liked high school. Yeah. Like when people are like high school was terrible. I'm like I don't know, guys. Have you experienced the world <laughs> not in high school? Like yeah, there's some microcosms of it that are real dark but i don't know not paying bills <laughs> was kind was of ace <laughs> yeah like all i had to worry about like my biggest problem was like oh no i didn't do my math homework <laughs> i'll just copy it from somebody because that's the thing too is like i was a topanga but then i was a little bit of like a like a fuck up Corey matthews in some ways and i put oh and sean like where i'm like I would definitely copy people's homework and I cheated on tests yep. all the time. Yeah. Like I was a Yeah, I feel like that's something we've all done. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. That's called making it through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Working smart, not hard. It is exactly. interesting. One point that you bring up is, you know, you were saying you were Topanga and I was kind of like, in my head, I was like, well, what does that mean? Because the great thing about Boy Meets World is that they never show Topanga's nerdiness as being something that counts against her. They do that with boys all the time. They do it with Minkus. They do it with a lot of the nerds that we see portrayed on the show. But Topanga's never seen as like a nerd to the fact where she's ostracized. At least yeah. not at, as now that we're in high school. Exactly. Um, she seems to be like this pretty popular nerd that I've never seen on any other 90s television show. It's almost like it's her strength. Like... Yeah. yeah. Boy Meets World is pretty rad and like they bring being like the way that they present gender roles and things like that is a little bit ab above board for most 90s shows. Like yeah, yeah like Topanga being smart and intelligent and, and smarter than her male counterparts and never hiding that she was smarter than her male counterparts like that's Active, a feminist yeah. strong-willed but like in a good way. Yeah. You know, she it was, was never seen as like the bitchy uh, like overbearing one it was even when she like spoke up for herself like she was never seen as like a lot of times when you see women who like kind of stand up for themselves are a little bit adamant in certain ways um they're seen as bitchy but topanga was never seen as that exactly. or even defensive mm -hmm. and topanga's not like topanga's always just the smartest person in class yeah exactly and i and again, like, that's kind of why I identify with Topanga. <laughs> um, no, but because I was, I 
would do fundraisers for you know, for like Darfur. <laughs> <laughs> That's how very share of you. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I I don't know. Maybe I haven't correlated to Topanga, but maybe like being a high school student who was never afraid to be like, uh, actually, I think that that's wrong and dumb. Yeah. Uh, maybe sure. inspired by Topanga. No, I actually, I, I mean, part of this entire podcast is the fact that for, especially when we watched Topanga's parts, we were like, this girl is such ahead of her time. Yeah. She's just like, she's like, amazing, like, yeah, she's like very, very much. You're like, what? Where was this person hiding? And why did we all not? Like, I mean, we did fall in love with her. It was yeah. like, I don't think we really understood what we had. It's, it's Well, part of what makes her so easy to fall in love with is that they write all the other women on the show terribly, other than Amy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, very good. That's point. true. Very good. Point. I mean, like, in this episode, like, oh, um, we're getting into oh, it. God, right, so, Desiree? Desiree. Uh, I'm getting, wait, 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 we're going to go into it. So, let me do the tell me about it so all of our listeners can know where we're at. Tell me about it. Mr. Turner's class is reading The Greats of Wrath, and Corey actually seems interested in the material. So much so that he begins participating in class, much to Mr. Turner's shock, and he's eager to get into the class discussion. Unfortunately, the class only wants to know which parts of the book are important to the test. Mr. Turner feels the real lesson is in the theme of the book and promises the class that if they read the book, there will not be a test. Feeney hears of Mr. Turner's no-test policy and fears that no test will mean that no one will read the book. To his surprise, not only do the students read the book, but they unionize and protest the test that is given. Feeney refuses to back down and Corey and Sean go on strike by walking out of the school. In a B storyline, Eric continues to date Desiree, much to Jason's dismay. All right, so that is our Tell Me About It. First thoughts, we're going to give the mic to Lainey. Go. So this is the first episode of Boy Meets World I've watched in a long time, and I was not totally sure what to expect. I, I was like, all right, like let me dig back into my 90s brain. But... <laughs> It was really cool. I mean, the fact that <laughs> and relevant, like yeah. so relevant. Um, I I personally didn't read the Grapes of Wrath in high school. I don't know if it was because it wasn't assigned or if I just did a, a you know spark notes for it. I was going to ask the same thing, TC. Did you read the Grapes of Wrath? One of my notes is, did you guys read Grapes of Wrath? Because <laughs> I sure as hell did not. I still not. have no. I I have a vague understanding of what it's about. Um, the first time I, I know what it's about because of this episode. Yeah, same. I was like, oh, that's what the grapes are. I probably like that book. Yeah, I should read that. I added it to my Audible, <laughs> yeah. FYI. But uh, the first time I heard of Grapes of Wrath was actually from Veggie Tales, and <laughs> they used the Grapes of Wrath like actual grapes in order to tell a story, which has nothing to do with what I think the original source material is about. And it kind of gives the wrong impression about the main characters. But still, that was the first time I heard of The Grapes of Wrath. Via VeggieTales. <laughs> via VeggieTales. And also, uh, I've never read the book. But after watching this episode, I did add it to my Audible. Yeah, like, I think I'm actually going to go to the library on my lunch break uh, this yeah. week and pick it up. Because yeah. I've been looking for, like, a... You know, a not heavy book to read, but still heavy. Yeah, yeah. that's who I am as a yeah. person. <laughs> um. Yeah, there are so many classic literature books that I know specifically because Boy Meets World incorporated them into a storyline. That's <laughs> incredible. And says a lot about the uh, writer. Public education, yeah. yeah. Well, public, public education, education too. yeah. Um, right, but you were saying that. Uh, but yeah, so I was really surprised to hear you know, that what the storyline of The Grapes of Wrath was. 
I didn't realize it was about the migrant worker struggle and, and their unionization or failure to unionize. I still haven't quite worked that one out yet, which is why I will read the book now. <laughs> um, but for me, uh, I really loved Mr. Turner's uh, direction with the class and wanting them to just actually learn the source material, not be so caught up on the tests. I feel like, uh, you know, as someone who's been out of high school for seven years, um, <laughs> it's, I do remember there being kind of a shift in the way we learned where there was a, t I feel like there was a time where we learned because they were like, no, we're going to learn this material because it's important to understand these things. And then things shifted to, we have to learn to this test. Yep. Um, and I imagine as an educator, that's very frustrating. Um, and so just to see your students actually engaged in something, actually excited about material um, beyond a test was probably pretty rewarding for Mr. Turner. Yeah. Um, and then to see Mr. Feeney just come in and like crush those dreams <laughs> um, was also disappointing. But I, I felt really... Uh, attached to the students' mobilization and unionization. Yeah. Um, especially if you pay attention to the news at all and the Supreme Court decisions, uh, the Janus decision this past like, it was two weeks ago um, is is a pretty devastating uh, ruling for, for unions. Right now, it only impacts public sector unions, but public sector unions are the basically the strongest of the unions right now because private sector unions have all but been completely squashed by uh, special interests and right to work laws. So essentially Janus makes public service right to work, um, which is, which I, we're, I don't totally have my head wrapped around like what the consequences for that will be. I, uh, full disclosure, I'm a public sector, I'm a public service worker, so I'm a civil servant. Um, so this does impact me directly. Um, we, our union dues, the way that they work before Janus was you have to pay into the agency fee uh, and then you could pay union dues. Sometimes they're more, sometimes they're the same. But mm -hmm. the agency fee is mandatory for everyone because you're represented by the union. The union uh, negotiates your contract. It makes, it represents you if there's any, um, if you you have any disciplinary issues or if you get fired and it's, there's really no reason for it that you have the union to represent you just by paying those agency fees. Um, but the union can't spend agency fees on political spending. Um, what Janice did was argue that unions are political by nature, and so those agency fees always pay for uh, for politics. And so it's a violation of like freedom of speech. I know. Uh, I yeah, see no, just, no, no. just so, faces like, no, like disgusted. I'm, I'm disgusted Same. and angry and like a bunch of stuff. And again, as you can see, this is why I brought it way more knowledgeable. Um, but <clears throat> so sorry. I I think that what is really great about this episode is it it explained to kids why unions are so important, you know, and it mm -hmm. it actually has a dual message. Um, which I thought was really important because when Corey and Sean do walk out of school and like Mr. Turner comes to it and he breaks them, I at first thought he was going to be on their side. But I he did was, too. He was like, actually, your kids, you don't have anything to lose. They had stuff to lose mm -hmm. and that's what made it different. That's what a, a union really is for. It's not for gripes or for complaining. It's about actually... Um, serious issues and when there's something at, 
at risk. Yeah. And I was like, that is a great way to separate the two and not just, you could have very easily just had this episode be this episode mm-hmm. and be like, yeah, they unionized and the kids learned a lesson. And they're like, yeah, but did they learn the right lesson? Let's talk about this a little bit more. And that's what I love about Boy Meets World. It's like every now and then they'll take that extra scene to be like, by the way, this is uh, one interpretation of the lesson, but there's more to it than just that. You know, I didn't really think of that that way, but now that you mention it, because at first I was kind of like, whoa, Turner, Feeney, why you guys, like, that, <laughs> that was a cool lesson that they learned. They yeah. learned to, like, to, that their collective action and collective, like, them, when you combine your efforts and, and hold out together what you can accomplish, and it felt, like, a little dismissive of them, but now that you put it that way, it actually kind of, it's almost like telling the public, like, no, unions aren't just for people to, like, bitch and whine. It's they're protecting people's rights. Exactly. They're, they're <laughs> guaranteeing a, a fair wage. They're guaranteeing access to health care and, and, you know, a eight, eight, eight and eight, eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours leisure. Yeah. Like, that's that's what the union's about. It's not just – it's not this um, this idea of, like, privilege, which I think is the, the message that – a lot of Americans especially have about labor unions and unions in general or that, um, you know, unions are bad for the economy. Unions hurt workers. Unions are just a bunch of whiners who want to get more out of things. It's like, no, unions are just trying to, like, make sure that uh, we don't fall into a feudalistic dystopia. (laughs) Um, And I would would argue that a loss of, you know, if, if we had stronger unions at this point in time, you know, with the the economy being the way it is, with the the labor force being as productive and strong and educated as it is, that this would be the time where if we had strong unions, they'd be like, yeah, we want more money. Fuck you. Pay us. <laughs> so, you know, what's really funny. Um, I mean, I don't think I know a ton about unions. I learned a lot from this episode growing up. There was also an episode of The Office where they discussed unions that... Um, I remember, but I used to actually work for a major retail chain, which I will not name here. (laughs) Um, However, there was one time I specifically remember sitting with a boss and someone had joked about unions and they took that shit really, really seriously. They They really tried to squash that conversation from even developing and it was just kind of an awkward moment. And that was the only time I had really like seen, uh, you know, the way a corporation approaches unions. Um, and it just left a really, like, weird taste in my mouth. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. Um, the <clears throat> My history with unions, and I think it's because Florida is a little bit different. Like Florida is a right-to-work state. Yeah, Florida is a right-to-work state, and it always has been. So our exposure to it was a bit different. Whereas when I moved up to New York and I dated my ex... Uh, his entire family, all of them were in unions of, of some sort. Mm-hmm. So he had like a very strong understanding of unions. And I was very passive about it. I was like, no, I was like, everyone is like, it's all right to work. I was like, you have no guarantee in any point in time in life. And then as I grew up and I learned more, I was like, oh, actually, I was very wrong about that. <laughs> like, like he and his family were actually right about that one, the value of unions mm-hmm. um, and what they do for this country. I grew up in a union family, so I think it's why I have such a strong yeah, opinion yeah. on those things. Uh, my brother, my father, my uncle, and my grandfather all worked worked 
or are retired from the same union. Um, and my mom was also a union member and when she worked in the hospital. So I've always just been exposed to um, the necessity to for unions to protect workers' rights. And actually, when I was working in the private sector in a yeah. company that will remain unnamed, um, and I worked really crazy hours. There were some weeks where I didn't take a weekend. Yeah. And I remember one summer I worked like 17 days straight. And when I mentioned to the boss how much I had been working and that I was going to maybe take a day off, he was like, Welcome to my world. It's like, yeah, well, it's like you almost what is it? it's different. What is it? It's a little different because like what you make versus what I make. Um, and but my parents, um, my brothers, the whole time while I was working were like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like you should be putting in eight hours a day. And if you're paying, working more than eight hours and you're not getting overtime, like you are a clown, you're a fool. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Yeah. You know, you got to put your sweat equity in and this is important. Uh, and then, you know, after a couple years of that and feeling, feeling a little burnt out by it, I kind of was like, wait a second. No, this is dumb. Yeah. Like none of this is worth it. I'm not getting paid enough to care the way I care about this. Um, and it just kind of shifted my perception to realizing like how right my family was about not, and you know, what the industry I was working with was not one that necessarily has an easy path towards unionization. Although I think literally everyone should be in a union at this point. Um, but it was kind of understanding the the way workers are abused, the way um, the yeah. management takes advantage of people. Say, how quickly it goes off the rails. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. You know what's funny is that I think that's something that because, you know, unionization is dying down and, you know, for millennials growing up in this generation where unions weren't as strong, we're kind of taught that like, oh, like you said, like that's sweat equity. That's what you have to do to start out. You have to work nights and weekends. And even that, like my job that I have now, people go on vacation and they're still responding to emails the entire mm -hmm. time. And it's that expectation that, well, that's what you have to do to be a part of the professional world versus no, I have a union that's going to protect those rights. Yeah. And it, I think the reality is, it's like, that's all a bunch of like flaming hot shit. You don't, <laughs> you don't nothing you're doing is that important you're not unless you are an actual heart surgeon nothing you're doing is that important that you can't take time away from it i think even some management uses that to, they're like what else are you going to do where else are you going to go what are your options let's 100 exactly. let's show them what management can do yeah and that was a thing where it's like a uh, and even off that line, like we've kind of come full circle, but I wanted to bring this up. I've said this before, and I know that it changes again, but Mr. Feeney in this season so far is really much old school mentality mm -hmm. versus Jonathan's new school mentality. Yeah. Well, I think they specifically put Jonathan there to have that dynamic set up with Feeney. And I think it was to kind of show like, hey, there's there's, you know, advantages to both ways. But no, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. Of course there are advantages to both ways, but one of the things that I'm saying is Mr. Feeney was our only uh educational source in the season in the first season. Mm -hmm. Now we have Mr. Turner who is younger and he's supposed to show us an alternative things. But Mr. Feeney is so glued to the way that things have been. Again, if we want to talk about the test, the kids came in, Sean read the book. Sean read the book. Sean read the, a the book. audible gas of the classmates was just 
so 90s. Exactly. So cute. And he was like, I know, my head still hurts. But like, <laughs> Sean read the book because they were going to focus on the lessons from the book. And that was more important than the test, which also should tell Feeney that maybe they are doing things wrong at school. If the most lax person actually took interest when he knew that he wouldn't be graded the way that traditionally, that should be inspiring. You don't go and be like, you know what's the best way to test this is to (laughs) go back on what we said. And that was kind of like one of my things. It's like Sean, sorry, not Sean. Feeney is so uh, ingrained in his old ways. Mm -hmm. And he, even when he's proven wrong that they've read the book, because it's clear early on that they've read the book, they wouldn't have unionized if they didn't read the book. Yeah, exactly. He's still, it's more of like, in my mind, Feeney's trying to prove something. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, let's also talk about the... (laughs) It's really hard to to separate this episode from just, like, the pain of real life, knowing that, like, test-taking has become what school is now. Yeah, exactly. And, and I I mean, Lean kind of mentioned this earlier about how there's been that... We were lucky enough to experience both realities of, like, learning for the sake of learning and then learning for test-taking and what that did to us and how our enjoyment and education changed. And when I see Sean saying, you know, I read the book, I'm like... You know what? If I didn't have the anxiety of having to pass like 28 tests a year mm-hmm. that were like four hours long each, like maybe I would have been more interested in learning. So I, I just think that's just a really interesting concept to kind of throw out there in 1994 or whenever this aired. And then to kind of look at how this has evolved and how like the Feenies of the world, speaking of this episode, won. And now all there is is test taking. And what does that even mean anymore? Yeah. I have a lot of friends who are educators even back in New York. And um, they they're really they get really frustrated because they they can't teach history in, in a way that is t- to teach the history. Because there's a reason we learn history so we don't repeat it. Oh, God, we're repeating it. Yeah. <laughs> well, even in this episode, you kind of see the importance of living. Like, you see Jonathan Turner where he's he's – getting feedback from the kids about, you know, test taking. And he's like, you know what? I know what's going to help these kids in this moment. And it's mm-hmm. going to be to get rid of this test. Yeah. And teachers don't have the option. And we see that with Feeney. You, you, they just don't have the option to, to kind of fly off the seat of their pants and do what instinctively makes a teacher great. Exactly. And I feel like that's the reason why so many teachers are leaving the profession. So many good teachers are leaving the profession because we, You're not teaching anymore. You're simply just reading from a book and helping others memorize a book. And what does that even mean? Exactly. It's it's memorization (laughs) versus actually processing something, actually internalizing something, understanding like, oh, this, you know, obviously this book touched the students. They were, they were like, they've really understood the, the struggle of the migrant workers, which is a lot for like a seventh grader to wrap their head around. And yet they, they did. Exactly. And they, you know, they related it to their own struggles. And even though their struggles were, were, you know, very minor compared to like people who are like, you know, trying to not starve to death while working, they, they internalized those issues and they made them their own. But like, I just don't know if we do that anymore. One of the big problems that we're having now is, 
simple empathy, mm. simple understanding what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. That is something that's been dying out. And I think that a book like The Grapes of Wrath is important because not only does it talk about unions and like all of that, it literally is about understanding other people mm-hmm. and why it's important to come together despite your differences. Yeah. And like, again, in this episode alone, they have a certain cause and they're like, no, we're in this together. Are we satisfied with the way? Yeah. One person took the initiative, but they're like, no, you know what? This affects all of us. And we, as a group, it's like more of us than there are of them. Exactly. And if we understand that, that benefits us. You know what I'm saying? It's a bug's life. It's like they never figure out that they outnumber us 100 to 1. Our style of life is over. Again, can we talk? I mean, like, yeah, just a little side tangent. And I'm going to include that in our homework this week. That scene from a bug's life is also 100% ahead of its time. It is fantastic hey so siege i have a question for you because yeah. i mean obviously your knowledge of boy meets world is more so based on like you know watching it live watching the reruns and you've obviously been watching it with me this last season or so why the hell do you think Corey took to this book so well well that's a really good point and i did think about that i always ask myself why you know why does Corey get inspired by all of these things and one of the things that I can think is, I, I brought this up several times, but Corey does come from uh, a working class family. Mm-hmm. You know, Alan works at a grocery store. And I'm not saying that Alan just comes home and specifically talks about his union. I'm just saying that Corey is more likely to understand. Uh, I mean, because think about the other things we've talked about so far. The Scarlet Letter, like all these other things. These are things that are like removed from Corey and don't really, I don't really see him finding himself. But when he, when Corey does, think about the last book that Corey took to heart, which was Anne Frank. That was a story that he could see himself in. Mm. You know what I mean? Or, I mean, and I could be wrong. Is he dyslexic and is reading a book backwards the way that he learns? Well, actually, that's another. Like, the fact that I mean, Corey, it's very possible. That he is I'm dyslexic. not gonna lie. Well, he, he could be dyslexic, but also what's really funny and uh, about Corey reading it backwards is that's just more of that ingenuity. You know what I mean? It's like there's that creativity uh, thing where it's like a kid will do something and you're like, that is the dumbest thing that you could be doing. But I also see how you got there and I don't want to discourage your creativity. I, will, I like, I loved the way Amy reacted yeah. to it. She was like, hmm, okay. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Like it's the dumbest thing ever, but it's also the plot to Memento. So maybe yeah, it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> it's stupid, but actually at the same time, you have a logic there. I, yeah. can't, I can't argue against you. But it's done. <laughs> and he learned. He seemed to actually learn that way. Sure. Exactly. I will I do agree with Siege though. I think that I think Alan being a grocery store worker, also can we talk about the fact that when there was a time in our country where you could be a grocery store worker and have a stay at home wife and own a whoa, house. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Amy is not a stay at home oh, wife. Not? She oh, works sorry. two jobs. Wait, 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 wait. So here's the funny <laughs> I'm thing. so sorry, Amy. No, you just need to know this and we talk about this all time in the first season amy sells real estate uh and they kind of that kind of gives her the flexibility to go in and out um and the first episode of this season 
Amy now works at an art gallery. Unexplained. They never say bring it up for any reason. And so that's why TC said what he said. We were just like, wait a minute. What happened to the real estate job? Why didn't she get this art job? Like, what's going on here? What's going on? Because Amy is one of the ones where I say, I think she is developed really well as a parent mm-hmm. but as a character they just kind of throw stuff at the wall right well, yeah they don't really pay attention to her because you know she's a woman so what does her job matter her let's focus on alan purpose job. is to be a mother a hundred percent it's the 90s job. guys being a mother is the most rewarding and important <laughs> thing a woman could ever do you this know? is sarcasm from like, it's like hang up your hat otherwise you know yeah. so going back to this whole idea what did we think about the fact that i i like we kind of went into uh turner being like look you're not you're focused too much on this test mm-hmm. uh, and i just think we should have the discussion what do you guys feel about that like about educating being about the discussion and learning that way, as opposed to the other things we've talked about with testing. That was one of my favorite things about college. Yeah. Was that, that move from test to discussion. Mm. And obviously not all classes were like that, but the classes that were just kind of us sitting around, just talking about what we thought and our interpretation of things versus there being a right and wrong answer, um, hearing other people's interpretations of certain uh, material. Um, I thought that was way more um, impactful to me as a student than anything I was forced to memorize and recite. Definitely. Even I was... Um... So I just finished grad school in December and I had a few classes where the professors were like, listen, if you guys come in and you discuss the material and we can have conversations about this, I'm not going to give you a test. But if you were silent and I you had a Mr. Question, Turner, I had a Turner. Yeah. And but what was more disappointing is like I'm I was in a program of adults who were willfully putting themselves through this hell of grad school because it is a version of hell. And there was only a handful of us were like, oh, for fuck's sake, talk about the books so we don't take a test. What's the matter with you people? <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? I don't want to take a damn test. It's actually really funny because what that essentially means is Mr. Turner's method. It's kind of met with what Feeney said, which yeah. is that if you don't require it, then who's going to actually do the work? Yeah. Which is an interesting thing in real life. But what's, in, what's important to me is the separation of uh, that case because it's clear right away that the kids actually did read it. And Feeney being like, you know, if you don't give them the test and how do you know if they learn it? Pretty much like what you had happen in grad school. What I think is different is why could the test not have been an oral exam? Right. I kept looking at this and being like, this could have been easily an oral exam. He could have given them a test without them even knowing they were taking a test. Exactly. That's what Feeney does at the end of the episode. Right. Feeney gives them an oral exam. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of the episode, you know, Feeney does kind of say to Turner, that that wasn't a test. You don't think that that was a test? Exactly. But that's what I I wrote. One of my notes was, is this a game between Feeney and the boys? Because... He challenges Turner for no reason. It's immediately clear that the boys have read it because of the fact they do this. But he is determined not to lose face, not to lose ground. And- I think that Feeney, I, I, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I do think that Feeney is this kind of, 
it's that fear of, well, if this class refuses to take this test, how is this going to spread throughout the school? And there's this loss on the education aspect of it and the, oh, let's just jump on this because it means we don't have homework or don't have to study for a test. I think that's what he's trying to reel in. I don't think it's as malicious as like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, form, you know, a powerful position for these boys. I think it's more so I want to rein in this before it becomes chaos. You is how I interpret any it any anyway. ego attached to it? All I saw, all I saw it was ego. Like, I, I'm not saying he is the principal of the school. I definitely understand that. And it's clearly gone around that Mr. Turner said that he wasn't going to give them a test on the material. Also, I understand that. But this is not a nationwide or even county enforced test, right. first of all. It is one class on literature on a book. One that, book yeah, test. Yeah, so one yeah. book test. Yeah. And he hasn't even gone the whole week. He heard about it the ne- like the next hour after class. Mr. Finney was like, I heard you're not going to give them a test for the first time. Ever. And I don't think that's the... Yeah, Turner's class has a mole because every time Turner does something, (laughs) Feeney knows about it. (laughs) It's a very good point. What do we think about the whole, the strike and they're going to take away our girls? (laughs) The whole power... Oh, I I, I, I don't believe that Feeney meant anything that he said i think he was bluffing 100 percent. he's not going to shut down football season the school's football season well, because my question of was like, 12 how, people how big is this school that like one class, <laughs> one english class of seventh graders rebelling is enough for you to cancel everything for the seventh grade i went i mean i don't know i, I went to a pretty big school and i was like damn that's those kids are gonna get beat up because yeah hell like, yeah because <laughs> Our seventh grade class was like almost a thousand people. Like you're gonna cancel everything for a thousand people over these fifteen freaking kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Like John Adams High <laughs> must be pretty small. Well, <laughs> I'm not nothing. gonna lie. In my middle school, we did ha- we didn't like it wasn't like the bit, but like we had silent lunch for like a month because <laughs> a few kids would be rowdy, <laughs> and and because those kids would be rowdy, they were like, all right, the entire cafeteria just can't speak like, like everyone's on lockdown almost that's why and it's crazy but uh and so i i kind of understand that and i understand the power play what i was actually getting in is the whole comedy of feeny being like i'm gonna take away your dance privileges and uh sean being like but that's where i make out with girls and like that's how i see girls and yeah no cheerleaders that's right no cheerleaders mr hunter and using this whole day i it's again it's a terrible thing to use girls and women as a tool but i just thought sean's reaction to it was was, so it's a very effective tool against (laughs) seventh graders (laughs) well i i think it's too it's to show that kind of like you know they're taking the stand on unions they're trying to you know uh strike but there has to be some sacrifice to that and i think yeah. that's where they were like well what's going to be a sacrifice to sean hunter right now? <laughs> yeah well i was like Corey turned and said to him like we have to make sacrifices sean <laughs> why can't we sacrifice you <laughs> he's like i would rather sacrifice my best friend versus sacrificing the chance to perv out on these high school chicks have you made out with a high school chick before <laughs> and not Sean. recently, TC. <laughs> yeah. Is what Sean is asking Corey, and Corey is like, "I have rocket ships on my sheets. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand." <laughs> Very good point. Very good argument. Okay, now we can. Go. I just wanted to bring that up because I really love that scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it just kind of shows how 
the the power of pussy on men in this episode because <laughs> from the from the gate, Eric is ready to bulldoze his mom down for the chance to bring Desiree shampoo and conditioner. And oh I don't my god! That. So I have to admit, this was the part of the Desiree storyline that I loved, and this is the like that I really enjoy. And not only is it the comedy and the beats. But this is what made Desiree so despicable. But I really loved the little battle between her and Jason. Just in general, this whole dynamic of Jason and his time with Eric and Desiree and her time. Yeah, there's one scene where Eric and Jason are talking in the hallway about a basketball game that Eric bailed on because he had to go to the mall with Desiree again. Yeah. Um, And Desiree walks right in between Eric and Jason as if Jason isn't even there at all. By the way, her teenage nips are on full display again. <laughs> I um, was watching this with my boyfriend, and he was like, am I allowed to be attracted to this girl? Thank because you. I am, but I feel I, like... I was just saying in the last podcast how much they sexualized Desiree and CJ's... Oh, no, no, that's just what the 90s was. No, no, no they sexualized the hell out of her. I said that she is sexualized. She's not old. Like, they didn't make it where... Her boobs are like coming out of her shirt. They just put it. They she, might have. They well. hired someone who just was like that good girl look, but had the body where you're like you understood what was going on. I will again. My very wonderful feminist boyfriend was like, "Yeah, I missed a couple of pickup games for that." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's funny because in the end, at the end. Uh, Jason's like, you know what? If this is what it leads to. <laughs> That's what was so funny about Desiree is that I thought, like, oh, of course Eric is doing this because he's getting laid. But it turns out that he hadn't even kissed this chick yet. And the only time she kisses him is to say goodbye forever after he says that he just wants fairness in the relationship. So I don't know what her game even is with guys. What do you mean? What is her, her game is very clear. Her it's, game is actually very good and strategic. <laughs> As a woman who has done, who has given things up pretty forward and then have held out on things. And I'm not, I, you know, it's all bullshit. But I was, but I was like, yeah, Desiree, you've got... You've got a strategy there. She has a strategy. I do not applaud it, but she is very strategic. The <laughs> the promise of something to come will keep a man. <laughs> it, it, I got to tell you, especially a less mature man, it does keep them a little bit more roped up. I always in. go back to the fact that we are in the 90s. Internet porn is not as big of a thing as it, used to, or as it is right now. So, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that it wouldn't work even now but like imagine if you also didn't have the release of like internet porn like yeah. all that stuff. eric is just a bottle of teenage hormones this really attractive girl is paying him attention and all she wants to do is 
dominate his time. And Eric does not think that that's a bad trade-off. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Do I get to touch your boobs at some point? Exactly. And she's like, oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even say yes. She's just like, eventually, we'll see what it comes down to. Exactly. You can look at the nipple through my shirt all you'd like, but Everybody you cannot can. touch them. Everybody can. I will say, though, her outfits were fire. Yeah. That, that plaid number? Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> so here's a question. That? Here's a question for the group. Can you remember a time, and obviously there's some humility in this, that you have ever been whipped? Uh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, um, I, I'm pretty sure around this age. Yeah. Specifically. You know, it's like a, I understand, <laughs> and as much as we make fun of Eric, I do understand the idea of being infatuated with someone mm-hmm. so much and like not wanting to ruin it or like not wanting to do anything to where they'll stop being into you, especially if you consider them uh, of a higher rank than yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there have been plenty of, I, I've very, very happily learned to walk away from situations like this now. Yeah. There have been plenty of times where I found myself, wait, why am I doing this again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I my my college boyfriend, I mean, I would just do anything to spend time with him because he that like spending time with me wasn't his priority. <laughs> so I would like I took up snowboarding. I took up <laughs> guitar here. Like I did anything that was interesting to him to be able to spend time with him and then had no idea what was interesting to me for a period of time because I was like, wait, what do I like? That's I don't a even know. <laughs> way of putting that because I, I just finished reading Gone Girl mm. and that in that book, there's a whole section about like the cool girl and everything. And it's about how girls give up their identity to be with a man. Oh, for sure. Uh, or to be with a man thinks is cool or it, sexy or attractive. Exactly. Yeah. And I, now that you put it that way, I was like, yeah, Eric's pretty much, He's not giving up his idea. Well, in a way, he is with the basketball thing. Yeah, he's giving up um, what's interesting to him to take his girlfriend to the mall. But what's interesting about that that I do like, uh, and it says a little bit about the Matthews family and how they raise their kids, is when it becomes a little bit more obvious that she's being manipulative. Because, uh, like, the basketball thing, he missed. That was clear. She's just respectful to his friends, his family doesn't love her, all that is fine. Is when she blatantly goes, oh, by the way, can we go to the mall on Thursday? He's like, but I already have, we didn't have plans. You know that's when I have something else scheduled, unlike last time. And she's like, yeah, but I would really prefer to go on Thursday. And that's when he's like, oh, okay, so it's not that you want to spend time with me, it's you want to control me. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case... Uh, again, we're going to put up a little protest and, and see what we get out of it. And, you know, and, yeah, and, and that was so he sacrificed. uncomfortable. Yeah. He, sacrificed. he, you know, he lost and he sacrificed this sexy 16 year old or 17 year old that he maybe was going to touch her boob one day. But I think in the end, Eric wins Yeah, because he, he wins his dignity. He, exactly. he has his autonomy and, and, and I think it actually does tie into the theme of the yeah. episode really well. It ties into the unionization and, and the importance of, like, maintaining your principles and and not 
being manipulated and controlled by this promise of something maybe better. Exactly. Ooh, or, I or like how you tied that in. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I definitely. And then, of course, Jason is a scab. Oh, Jason's <laughs> a fucking scab. Jason was like, he dropped it. I'll work for less. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a total. But also, so are all of Corey and Sean's classmates. Those yeah, are yeah. all a bunch of scabs. Yeah, they just, they like, immediately bailed. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no. Well, guys, they don't want to lose cheerleaders either. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, can we they... talk about just, like, you know what's so funny about that? Uh, you know, at the beginning of the, they're, comp- they're protesting about, like, yeah, we don't want to take the test. We don't want to take the test. And then Corey gets them to the point where they're chanting about macaroni. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, he, this escalates so quickly. It really does. And also, like, what's wrong with macaroni? I fucking love macaroni. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I think it's one of the things where it's like, uh, and what do we want? Macaroni! And Sean's like, no, we don't. Like, Corey's like, we don't want macaroni. No, no, no. <laughs> Sean's like, it. but I like macaroni. Why are we not doing Wait, I think I'm confused by this. And that, to me, A, it ties in with what Mr. Turner says when they come uh, when he comes to the house, which I think is important. Yeah. And then also, which we will talk about in just a second, but also it can show how a union or a protest without direction or without real goals mm-hmm. can go awry very quickly because he has the voice, they have the group, they're, they're together, but they are a little unsure of what they want next. Right. And then he starts making grand promises that exactly. like are just not realistic well and like also like what the perception of that is and how that looks to people from the outside because the re- they, they had a point on the test like they yeah. they were they were right to protest the test they were told they weren't gonna have to take a test that they read the material they read the material and suddenly they're getting stuck with the test they are right to recognize that's not fair that's not okay that's not what we agreed on we're gonna boycott this we're protesting this and that's where... But now we're like steak and lobster but also, at see, lunch. Yeah, and that's, where, and that's where Mr. Turner's point is important because he's like, you guys are just a bunch of whiny little kids now and that's silly and you look silly and you're, and you're missing the point. The, yeah. The point is maintaining fairness, mean, like it being a balanced relationship and you not being lied to and, taking it, and taken advantage of. Oh my God, I do. Uh, one of the bits that I love is when Turner's like, You know, it's like, like a whole little back and forth. I loved that. That was a great Especially bit. when they did it. And then later on, when Corey's like, if we had done to you, and he's like, no, 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 no I already there. tried that. <laughs> I already tried well, that. I think to Lean's point, because she kind of mentioned this earlier, was that I think Turner, the reason why he's so kind of on board with what's happening, like he's kind of quietly smiling in the corner, is because the kids are kind of proving to Feeney in a way that they, at the very least, read the book. Yeah. So he did kind of win this kind of argument that him and Feeney had. I felt that he he kind of won the yeah. discussion. Well, yeah. and, and uh, not only is it clear that he won, but I think Feeney takes it graciously. Um, you know, and like I think in a roundabout way, Feeney does like is like you know what I apologize. Um, I only the only reason why I want to go back to this and. Mr. Turner showing up to the house is not only does it kind of bring in the the lesson of you know these boys is like hey you kind of took it too far yourselves and where where did this go from it but we get a lot of interesting lines first of all we get the fact that Mr. Turner shows up on their doorstep 
looking all Jeff Goldblum sexy. Just real fine. Like looking so good. Yeah, this is my turned on by Turner moment. Uh, He's wearing that leather bomber jacket. His white man's jo- Jerry curl is glistening. I took, and even Alan's like, who the fuck are you? And you're a teacher? What the fuck are they doing now that that's cool? It's funny, neither him or Amy specifically says like, whoa, 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 you're the teacher? But there is that vibe. And also, Amy does give him fuck me eyes. Oh, yeah. I gotta tell you, I had a teacher, he was a student teacher my senior year, <laughs> who was like Mr. Turner. His name was Mr. Mundy. <laughs> he was just... You should see the look that Lean is giving. It's amazing. He he <laughs> had like that Turner vibe though. Like he had like some real head of hair going. It was uh he always wore long sleeve shirts and that and uh he he helped me with my college essay because I was having so- Oh, he helped you, did he? I was having such a hard time writing my college essay. <laughs> oh my so god. Money if he could help me with it. Psych, I just wanted Mr. Money to help me with stuff. And it turns out so when, like, when we were in the library and he kind of like shifted his sleeve really quickly and I was like, oh, you have tattoos. And he was like, oh, yeah, don't please don't tell anybody I have tattoos. Uh, I, I keep them covered up. He's like, you know, before I went back to school to be a teacher, I actually he like, used to be like an event manager and like tour manager. I believe. See, you know what? That is now Mr. He, Turner's backstory. Like he is Mr. Turner. Yeah. Like, Mr. Money was Mr. Turner. And and so whenever I see Mr. Turner, I'm like. Yeah, no, I know that teacher. Yeah. I had that teacher. So what? But other than his tattoos, what other secrets that you and this teacher have? Uh, in the I, that was really the only secrets that we had. As I, it should be. I tried. No, I didn't try because like that's fucked up. But like there was definitely a point where I was like, but what if I'm 18 and <laughs> and I'm not in school anymore? But then it turned out that he was actually engaged to the sign language student teacher. Oh, no, she wasn't. Oh, wait, no, no, as no, cool. no, no. <laughs> Don't go all ragging against that. She <laughs> cool. She was like, are you sure, Mr. Mundy? I mean, like, <laughs> do you know how cool she you are and how lame she is? Uh, yeah, especially because, like, you're student president. Like, like. <laughs> I, like, it could have been. We could have had something real cool, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Munns. Uh, it's so funny. Wait, wait, real quick. Go, go, go. This funny thing that my friends would always say to me is they'd turn around during class and look at me and my friend Ralph would go, oh, Helene, looks like somebody's got a case of the Bundys. Yes, love it. Yeah, right. I was like, yeah, no, for sure. I'm, <laughs> like, I, would, I would risk everything for this man. <laughs> Throw it all away. Uh, Mr. Bundy, you- if you're out there... I live in Los Angeles now. Still willing to throw it all away. But see, again, the whole thing about that, uh, just kind of bring this to Mr. Turner, his whole rule, is, yeah, you're willing to throw it all away because you're a kid, and throwing it all away means nothing. Means nothing to me. <laughs> literally putting nothing at risk. Exactly. So, so Lean, I, I do have to ask this, and obviously I think I already know your answer, but I am just curious. Who would you rather, Jonathan or Alan? Oh, you know, oh, that's actually tough though, because Alan is sexy. I said thank you. Alan is very dopey. He's got this like, like, I'll take care of you vibe, <laughs> and that's really nice. Like, you know, I think eighteen year old me, definitely Mr. Turner, because he is Mr. Monday. But like thirty year old me is like, you know, I do want a house. <laughs> I 
Security I is like, important. I like the idea of a man who can help me pay this mortgage off. <laughs> it's amazing what you find sexy as you get older. Yeah, like, I mean, and I will, again, like, uh, I think boyfriend might listen to this podcast. So, yeah. But there was, like, 22-year-old me was like, yeah, I just really want to date, like, the cool, fun guy. My boyfriend now is, like, a very, like, like grounded, mature like not like like still like creative and has his head in the clouds in some ways, but it's also like very much like no. I mean, we have to pay our bills. Exactly, <laughs> like, and I like that about him. Yeah, like obviously, uh, to me, Mr. Turner is the guy that like Amy has the affair with. Of yes. course, like, she's married to Alan, and she doesn't leave Alan. That's what I was saying. Exactly, it's like fuck Mary Kill. You clearly fucked her. You fucked Turner. <laughs> and you marry Alan. Alan. You kill me. He has well. Alan does have this kind of um. I always think he has this very sexy kind of um. Dennis Quaid and Parent Trap vibe. Yeah. Yes. Again, oh, yeah. I uh, I said this earlier. I had been uh, I watched um the original Jurassic Park not too long ago, mm. and Jeff Goldblum also Jerry Curl glasses. It's just like a, it's a beautiful thing. But Jeff like Goldblum. when he came, when Mr. Turner came in, was like. I, I do not know if his shirt was actually half-buttoned. I just, don't that's know, how I remember but that's it. how I remember it. And I was just like, you Jeff Gold-looking motherfucker. You're just... just has- well, can, I, you know what? I just saw an interview with Jeff Goldblum, and I found him incredibly erotic. And I'm he trying to still- figure out what is sexy about Jeff Goldblum. Because whatever it is, he knows it. It's more like, what it. isn't sexy about Jeff Goldblum? Like, I don't know what it is. I actually, put- I know what's not sexy about Jeff Goldblum. He always has young... Like oh. women in his like, but that's because he's Jeff Goldblum and yeah. he can. Yeah, like, like, I know, but... Jeff Goldblum is one of those people where I honestly, you're right. It's like a factor that he just has, and you're like, how? Because at this point in time, he's just writing the fact that he's always had it. But it's like, where did it originate from? Because that personality and that swag is just ah, uh, it's palpable. Yeah. Like he's it's like, so he's, it's so close to being like. Uh, Christopher Walken creepy too, like in like in like a like a push away from that. Yeah, but not yeah. There yet. You're not wrong, and it's it's like he really like rides that line, but he's he's yeah, just he he's just <laughs> on the right side of like, no, this is hot. Yeah. It is. Also, I don't feel like he has any rules sexually. Like I feel like <laughs> he like whoever's around, whoever he's feeling at the time, it's going down. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know if you saw in Thor. Oh, that was another. I watched Thor Ragnarok. Uh, which he's in, and this whole character in there, they talk about, like, the tension between, like, this hot Loki and Thor, and you have Jeff Goldblum, and you're like, and, like, you, you can just see it happening. Like, Jeff Goldblum's like, I'm down for anything. Like, I, I would say, like, I don't, like, I think Jeff Goldblum is, like, is too, not too old, but, like, just isn't in this conversation that we have now about, like, gender fluidity and, yeah. like, how we label labeling ourselves with that. I think if Jeff Jeff Goldblum had to put a label on himself, he'd probably be pansexual. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with it. It's yeah. just, like, Jeff Goldblum just has that thing where, like, he understands that everyone wants a piece, and you're like, I don't even blame you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I mean, sure, let's do this. Let's get sweaty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, Jeff Goldblum, he knows he's flying. He knows that Earth Girls are easy. So I, mean, I hate <laughs> you so much. <laughs> Does anyone have like a specific bra moment, like a specific moment that actually took you out of it, and you were like, "Wow, this is really relevant to uh, today." I mean, I'll let you guys answer, but I have a response. 
I would say just the whole, like, the beginning of class where he's just talking about the migrant worker struggle and the idea of collective bargaining and, and how important it is like, when we have, when we are one voice together, how much power that wields. That is such a relevant sentence in our, in this time, in this place that we are in right now, uh, between the Janus decision, between the immigration issues, the the borderline concentration camps that we were holding people in, the, the Muslim ban, like, these are all decisions of, of, of a powerful few. Uh, and I think, the again, I'm dark but optimistic, the optimist in me is seeing this collective power of people coming together. And that was just such a relevant piece of, of, of that episode where it's like, yeah, that's exactly what we're experiencing today. This struggle never ends between the powerful and, and the powerless. Uh, TZ? Um, and it's just Turner kind of talking about tests. And he has that quote where, um, I want you to know this book to add to your personal knowledge, not to pass the test. And to me, that was the bra moment. Just that moment of like, wow, like I so wish education could be this again. And it, it, I so disheartened, uh, I got so disheartening to, to think about what education has become, what it was for us when we first started school versus like what it is now. And, you know, I have a lot of friends that are teachers mm -hmm. and their frustrations with just being an educator in this environment, um, seeing the dynamic between Feeney and Al, uh, I'm sorry, Feeney and Jonathan, and knowing that this kind of this last breathe of teacher, this like really good teacher, doesn't have a place in our world anymore. Um, to me, that was just like, bruh, that, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, so it's funny uh, to kind of go off of what both of you said. I thought this wasn't a bruh moment, it was a bruh episode. Like mm. for me, the entire episode, almost from start to finish, was just like things that were all relevant. Like even the B storyline with uh, Eric and Jason and Desiree, I was like, no, this is, all of this is very relevant to what we're going through today. And and lessons that kids still need to learn. For sure. Uh, and I just, especially, it started off with Turner's quote. And then the when you brought up when he brought up the uh test thing, I was like, again, this episode just keeps hitting you. <laughs> and then at the end when he was like, hey, by the way, they had something to lose and that's the difference. I was like, this episode is just overall hitting it out of the park with the lessons. Um, it's amazing that this episode from 1994 is just as relevant today. Amazing, sad. <laughs> hey, I, you know, there was one other thing, the small moment that right before um, it's the, the cold open, right before they cut to commercial, uh, the last thing Corey says is he's quoting the book and he says, whenever there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there. And that's yes. the a last quote, like before they cut to commercial. And I was so curious that within that entire book, why is it they chose that sentence for him to say? Rodney King. Yeah, Rodney King. was. Yeah, I mean, this was October 94. Rodney King happened in 91. But obviously just police brutality had been in the news cycle, had been something that was culturally relevant. Um, <laughs> when, when Corey said that, I, I did think about that for a little bit, why that was chosen out of all the, the quotes of the book. I think it's fair to assume that Michael Jacobs and April Kelly are like relatively yeah. left-leaning, <laughs> yeah, yeah, woke people. Um, they participated in the 88 writers' strike, so like they're clearly a pro-union uh, team of writers. So it is, I, I would, I can't imagine it's a mistake that they chose a quote about police brutality 
in yeah. this episode of all of the, the thi- all of the, the quotes from that book yeah. that neither of us, uh, none of us have read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Um, does anyone feel like their Feeny taught me would differ from their bra moment or? I don't know. Feeny taught me that like. That's to more still, of like the lesson of the episode. Yeah, I guess. But to me, all Feeny taught me was that he's a freaking manipulative <laughs> boss manager and that he still, like, that he, you value power over people. I was Well, I will did, say that Feeny did come around at the he end. He did, he did. Again, I had I had this argument early on, so like I was like, Feeny is just really ingrained in this, and and it's really upsetting. But I I do think that I said overall, I think all of our bra moments collectively are the Feeny taught me of this episode. Yeah. Which, well, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that the Feeny taught me doesn't also necessarily have to be from Feeny. Like, yeah. uh, there's many times in many episodes where the Feeny taught me portion comes from a different character. Like, for example, Sean taught me that in order to have a successful strike, you need mob connections. That's what I got from this episode. <laughs> Honestly, we didn't that talk about so the mob connections thing, but it's really, really funny. Um, there's something to be said about how strong the strong the unions were when there was mob connections, and I'm not gonna lie to you. Like, <laughs> I think that that is something that we, as people who have a need to start collectively bargaining again and organizing, should seriously consider, consider. is leveraging like, not, our mob yeah, connections. We here at Bra Meets World strongly support mob connections amongst <laughs> unions. Look, I'm not saying I support them. I'm just saying if they're there. You gotta <laughs> do what you gotta do. Bada bing, bada boom. Hey. 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 Uh, completely terrible. Alright, uh, grade. Uh, Lean, what grade are you giving this episode? Oh, this was an A plus for me. Like, I I couldn't believe how, how relevant it was, how well constructed it was for the 20 minute episode to like really pack in all of those life lessons. Yeah. Was really impressive. I it actually made me want to watch more Boy Meets World again where Yay. I haven't like really tapped into for a while and I was like, "Oh yeah. Maybe I'll, <laughs> you know, I could use some uplifting television." Yeah. All right, uh TC I'm going to give this episode a B plus and Siege can kind of confirm this. I I do grade fairly uh hard. Um, the of the <laughs> However, the reason I graded this episode down it had everything to do with Desiree just because I dislike her character a lot. So and, that's that's my personal reason for giving this a B plus instead of a higher grade. And to be the balance of all of this, I gave it an A because of Desiree. Oh. I loved I loved the storyline. I thought it was fun. I thought it was relevant. Um, I really loved her and Jason playing off of each other. And I just thought it was, it made sense in their story of like what to do as a B plot, but it also was just hilarious and well acted by everyone and had comedic timing. Uh, And also like, I think Desiree was a character that I love to hate. And like, again, when she was, she was right on last episode, Mm -hmm. I immediately remembered her. I remembered her character. And I was like, that to me is a good sign of a character when all I do is see your face and I'm like, I know exactly where we're going this um but then also when we talk about the overall arching story i just do not think we've done this good of an episode or handled a topic this adult 
uh, in a while. And I sure. really, really enjoyed it. So this got an A for me. The only reason why I didn't get an A plus is there's no Topanga. There are some beats. There's no Topanga. Yeah, that that's a bummer for me too. Can I mention one thing real fast? I yeah, thought Jason it. and Amy were great together. Oh yeah, they're like, yeah. When he comes in and he's flirting with Amy and he's Again. like, oh, if they watch the next generation. I was like, fuck it. I love Jason, man. <laughs> Jason is a great character. He brings like a like a, a Mingus quality, but like just more just more like suave and fun. Yeah, Jason is again, I I loved their little bits about his height. Wayne, do you find Jason Marsden attractive? Yeah, he's a cutie. Thank you. Yeah. I'm in love with him. Jason's got like that nice head of nineties hair. Yeah. He he's pretty 100%. broad shouldered. So like yeah. he's must he looks like he's like working with something underneath that sweatshirt. I and I've had plenty of fantasies yeah, about Jason. No, yes, the reason why he's wearing shorts with sweatpants is because he's trying to hide that boner. <laughs> that big dick energy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe small, but he's working with a lot. He's all right. Uh-oh. John Hammond all over the place. <laughs> Where are we at with homework? Uh, and so, Lane, just as a reminder, homework for us, is just anything that you want people to check out or read more of? Oh, okay. Um, uh, well, it could be your own things. Uh, so, yeah, what do you have? Oh, um, I just encourage people to... Uh, read up about the the Janus decision uh, and how that is going to affect public sector unions and and how that impacts private sector unions eventually. Um, I would say to also look at the legislation that Bernie Sanders and Kirsten Gillibrand have introduced about um, making a right to unionize a, a, a a federal right similar to the way white right to work a right yeah. to unionize uh tcu kind of talked about like your corporate job and how even like the mention of unionization was like a big shut them down this legislation would make that illegal um so i think if you are curious about uh about the future of unions and how we can move forward um checking out those things yeah. Um, and I wish I had like a good book to recommend right now, but I no, I think I think that's fantastic. <laughs> and I, um, we'll, as always, we include a link to these things. So mm-hmm. I'll definitely link those. Uh, and I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, Tony Curtis, what do you have for homework this week? So for homework, I have um, Disney's musical Newsies is on Netflix. And I'm specifically <laughs> choosing this with this episode because I had never seen Newsies before they created this kind of movie version of it. And um, I, I know that there was the movie version in the 90s. I had never seen it. So I the only one I had seen is this Broadway musical version. And I tell you, it's so well done. The music is done by Alan Minkin, who did Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. You know, I have a huge crush, talent crush on him. Um, and the whole show is just about these New York City kids in the nineteen in the eighteen ninety nine. I'm sorry, that are unionizing and striking for their rights and for the rights of children's workers. And I, I just think that the entire time I was watching the Boy Meets World episode, I kept thinking of Newsies in my head. And so I just think that would be a great uh, component to go with this episode is to check that out on Netflix. All right. Well, thanks. Um, so my homework this week, as I said, I read Gone Girl and it's it's not the same as Union, but the whole uh, kind of toxic relationship, mm-hmm. I definitely saw little bits of um, with the Eric and Desiree thing. And it was just honestly... I don't know if anyone else like liked the movie as much as I did. I loved the movie when I saw it. And then uh, when I read the book, it 
I was afraid that like knowing the ending and knowing the twist would bother me, but it did not. The book is just as good. It's just as in- intriguing. And uh, I think there is a lot to say about um, yeah, just how relationships work and how men and women deal with each other in this power play. And what they even really go into uh, in the book without spoiling anything is the motivation of this, like, the fragile masculinity of, like, needing to be seen as this type of man and and why you do the things that you do, uh, as well as the woman and, like, the sort of resentment side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, anyway, that's my recommendation for this week. Uh, And then, of course, everyone, I'm going to include The Grapes of Wrath, because I kind of feel like that's everyone's whole Feels like we all need to be doing (laughs) Exactly. The entire episode, I was just like, I really need to study up on this damn book. I I need to know what's going on. I I need to read this book. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, that is our episode. Lane, is there anything else that you want to share? Is there anything people should know about you? Or I mean, It's up to you. You're allowed to say no as well. <laughs> no, I like to keep my, my private life and my, my work. <laughs> keep doing it. No, I think it's fantastic. All right, so thank you guys for listening. This is Abra Meets World. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitchers, YouTube, all the places where you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a rating. Contact us. A couple of you have emailed us. I said that we'd be doing shout-outs. We'll do that in a few weeks. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Extra C's. That's X-C-R-A-C-E-E-J-T-C. You can find me at Brave Me on Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all the places and things at Brum Meets World. You can email us at BrumMeetsWorld at gmail.com. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, Lean, would you mind uh, getting us out? Just this line right here. Remember to dream, try, do good. Right, yeah, dream, thank you so try, much. and do good. Later, bros. Later, bros.